Hello and welcome to the latest mini episode of Love Your Library, the Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Kate Price McCarthy and I'm delighted to introduce an interview I did earlier this year with the new queen of Oxford crime fiction, Cara Hunter. I talked about this interview in the last podcast. So far, Cara has published three books in her D.I. Fawley series and the fourth is out in the new year. Within just a few years, she's become a best-selling author, with her latest book being chosen by the Sunday Times as one of the 100 best crime novels since 1945. She's quickly become one of my favourites too, both in print and in person, as she was a delight when she met up with us to talk about her latest novel, No Way Out. Here she is, reading an excerpt from the book. I bloody hate Christmas. I suppose I must have liked it once when I was a kid, but I don't remember. As soon as I was old enough, I'd walk anything to get out of the house. I never had anywhere to go, but even walking the streets in circles was better than sitting around the living room staring at each other, or the exquisite torture of yet another Only Fools and Horses Christmas special. And the older I've got, the more I loathe this time of year. Cheery, festive tat from the end of October to long after New Year. You'll change your mind, people said. When you have kids, you'll see. Christmas with a child of your own is a magical time. And it was. When we had Jake, it was. I remember him making the most amazing paper decorations all on his own. Reindeer and snowmen and polar bears in cutouts and careful, intricate silhouettes. And we had holly and oranges in the toes of knitted stockings and little white lights strung across the garden. I remember it actually snowed one year and he sat there at his bedroom window completely entranced as huge flakes swirled softly down, barely heavy enough to fall. So yes, it was magical. But what happens when you've lost the child who made it so? What then? People never talk to you about that. They don't tell you how to cope with the Christmas that comes after. Or the next. Or the one after that. There's work, of course. At least there is for me. Though Christmas is a crap time to be a police officer, just about every crime you can think of goes up. Theft, domestic violence, public disorder, mostly low-level stuff, but the amount of bloody admin it creates is still the same. People have too much to drink, too much time on their hands, and so much 24-hour proximity to people they're supposed to love, they find out that actually they don't. And what with that and everyone wanting to take leave, we're always short-staffed. Which is a very long way of explaining why I'm standing in a freezing cold kitchen at 5.35am in the dead end at the fag end of the holidays, staring out at the dark, listening to the Radio 4 news while I wait for the kettle to boil. There are dirty plates in the sink because I can't be bothered to empty the dishwasher, the bins are overflowing because I missed the change to the collection day, and the food caddy has been upended all over the side path, possibly by next door's cat, but more likely by the fox I've spotted in the garden once or twice lately in the early hours. And if you're wondering what I've been doing up at such a godforsaken time, well, you won't have to wonder very long. Thank you very much. As you said, that's right at the start of your latest book. That's right. No Way Out. So can I start by asking you just to tell us a bit about this book? The latest one is the third book in the D.I. Fawley series, which, of course, I didn't know was going to be a series at the beginning. I thought it might just be a standalone and I was going to be lucky to get it published at all. But yes, we're, uh, we're in Oxford. 
obviously not very far away from from Hampshire. Uh, and we have um, basically it's a police procedural, though a lot of what I'm I'm doing is in the territory of psychological thriller or domestic noir or whatever you want to call it. So they tend to be a bit of both. They tend to have quite a domestic focus of the, the actual story or the crime. And then you've got the, the line of the police investigation running in parallel with that. Uh, and that's uh, the Adam Foley story and the, the stories of his collective team. And this is the third one, No Way Out, uh, which begins with a major house fire in North Oxford. Mm, and it's, yeah, it's quite a disturbing event. Yes, I mean, we start with, with literally with the, the, uh, the, the helmet cam um, mm. intercoms from, from the firemen attending the blaze, and, and all of which is completely authentic because I spent time with the fire service in oh, really? Oxford and they, yeah. they actually went through and told me the exact phrases and words that they would, they would use. So it's, it's extremely you know, accurate at that point. But yes, the, with the fire, they, they, they find the two children of the family um, first, first of all. Um, one of the children is unfortunately dead already. The other one is, is not well at all. And as far as they can tell, initially, neither of the parents mm. are at home. So the first question everyone is asking is, what are Where these are the two parents? children doing alone yeah. in the house? Mm. I find you were talking about how you um, you have the script or the, the chatter and the reports from the fire service, but that's a common theme through your books, yes. is using things like tweets and comments and newspaper articles, which is uh, it's, it's a great way of um, enlivening everything, but it's fascinating, and that is how people get their information now. And, Absolutely, yeah, yes. I mean, the rumours that go around. Exactly. Mm. And with The way that started, I mean, it's become the signature style, if you want to call it that, but it started with Close to Home, because that's a book about a missing child. And immediately I had the idea for the book. I realised that as with, sadly, as with any case like that in real life these days, there is a, a media and a social media angle to it. Whether the police like it or not, they, they have no choice. They have to manage through that. And, and if you go and look at social media, whenever one of these very sad cases happens, it's actually appalling. Mm. I mean, the way, the way people feel entitled to, to abuse uh, and parent, judge parents particularly and judge them and that they, they don't know anything about it they don't know these people but they think that they're entitled to go out in public and talk to the world about what their their views are and and it's it's very damaging to, to everybody concerned and it, it it's something about social media that we haven't worked out how to do properly yet as a, as a species we've been given this new toy as it were um but we haven't worked out as it were the rules of behavior and what's acceptable and what isn't in the way that we do with conversation or or email where we sort of understand what we can do and what we can't but I think social media is not quite there yet so anyway the the story of close to home was always going to have a social media angle and so I decided actually that it would be a good idea to bring those voices right into the book and not just talk about them but have them there mm. uh, so we actually do have the twitter feeds and it turned actually very usefully into a, a sort of like a form of a Greek chorus, really, it's a, which is a very, very old idea. But the idea of bystanders commenting on what's going on. And sometimes what's going on in the virtual world leaks into the real world. And, and in Close to Home, that happens with tragic results. I was going to say one of the things I loved about this this book, but I'd say it's something that's across the series, is the way family relationships are so central. And what I particularly like is the way you scratch at the myth of the ideal family 
and this idea well I think it even came across in the excerpt you read yes. this idea of the idyllic Christmas that mm. just doesn't exist and the ideal relationships between mm. mothers and daughters and sons and fathers yes. um, that we all imagine is the case but is is rarely the case mm. so you might get a a parent, a reluctant mother, or yes. uh, and is there something that you've done consciously, or is it just something? That... Yes, I think I have. I, mean, I think um, I'm writing the sort of books that aren't sort of gratuitously violent, or um, have a lot of detail about you know, you know post mortems or something like that, uh, I, or, or indeed sort of sensational serial killer stuff where you know people dress up as jokers and run around town, and you know which we've all seen and we've seen on TV and we've probably read them, but. Um, that's not what I'm interested in. I, I'm interested in, if you like, more probable crime, which is domestically um, in, inspired. So, well, inspired is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Mm. That's where it comes from. Um, so, I, you know, to look at relationships and how they break down, what makes them break down, and, and the endless fascination we all have about what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, as you say, many of the families in the books appear perfectly normal, happy and prosperous from the outside. But there are all sorts of tensions and vulnerabilities and fragilities uh, behind those closed doors, not least in Adam Fawley's own life. Mm. He has a tragedy in his own life. Mm. Um, so we're all dealing with something. Mm. And, and sometimes it does break down, and sometimes not for our fault, but it just does. And that's where you can find that people are pushed to, to a point where they can't cope. And that's obviously where you end up having perhaps sometimes very tragic outcomes. Yeah, there's one of the things I particularly like is you don't get it just in the case. You do get it in the police officers, not just with Fawley, but even Giz. Gislingham, yes. Gislingham. <laughs> his relationship and building relationship with his coming to parenthood and all of that. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, I've really loved getting to know D.I. Forley's team over the last three books, and it's great to see their stories progressing. But I was really interested to see in a blog that you'd done this wonderful sketch out of the different police officers and things like how tall they were yes. and what they looked like. But I really like the way that you're chosen what you imagine that they would look like. Yes, I, someone said to me, what, who would you have playing them in, mm. in, um, in, in TV if uh, you know, the, the wonderful thing happened and it actually got put on TV? That was, that was quite fun, mm. quite difficult in some cases. And I, I keep saying to people, I, I don't have an actor in mind for Adam Foley himself, but the person he reminds me of most is Mark Carney, who's the governor of the Bank of I England. just thought that was great. <laughs> I love that. always makes people smile. Um, but actually has got that sort of understated... Um, um, uh, charm uh, and sort of an, an unawareness of his own good looks in a way. I mean, Mark Carney's a bit older, but I can mm. I can certainly see that. So if he wants to change career at this late stage, we might have a role for him. <laughs> you never know. And Rory Kinnear. Yes, is. yes. Well, he'd be perfect for Gizzle. He would. He's got that. He's, he's Giz all over. I mean, he's. I just have him in my head. You do get pictures in your head after a while when you're writing these people. And I can hear Adam talking to me too. And he's the easiest mm. to write now because when I do him in the first person, He's he's just like he's just I've just switched him off temporarily and switched him back on again, so, which is which is rather nice. Um, and yes, I understand that one of the reasons you started writing is you got frustrated with the endings of detective <laughs> fiction that you were reading yourself. Yeah. So uh, and I uh, it is it's when you read a Di Foley book, you know there are going to be twists and turns and unexpected maybe surprising endings I don't want to say anything more than that but is that something you work really hard absolutely yes because I, I am a very demanding reader when it comes to endings but I think crime readers in general these days are demanding in the right way 
and they're also really sophisticated. So it's it's damn hard to actually have your killer or criminal in plain sight throughout the book and and not give a give away too mm. much uh, to to so people guess it too soon. I and mean, I don't mind if they guess towards the end, but you don't want them guessing after page thirty or something. What's the fun in that? But so, but yes, I mean because I'm a demanding reader of particularly of endings. Um, I do make it a point of trying as hard as I possibly can to give my readers a good ending. And a lot of my ideas do start with the twist. Mm. So in ideas terms, they start at the end and work back. Whereas obviously writing, you start at the beginning and and work forward. But I always know where I'm going because Mm. it's the twist that I'm heading for. And then things happen along the way. And your characters surprise you sometimes too. They do things that they weren't planned to do. And how dare they? But it's always fun when that happens. Um, now, Oxford, where the books are set, it's yes. obviously a very familiar background to crime fiction. And yeah, I've, course, I, yes. I can see you've had some fun mm. with the links to um, Colin Dexter and his series. For example, one of the police officers' names is an anagram. Yes, um, detect- Erica Summer, who's my feisty female detective, who I love dearly. Yes, her name is spelled S-O-M-E-R, which is an anagram of Morse. So, and she's E as well, her, her first name. So that was a deliberate nod to the great Colin Dexter and the city that I set them in. But I'm trying not to do the sort of thing that, that he did so well and the TV series did so well. Uh, and in some ways modernise people's views of Oxford because I think even when certainly the early Moore series were done, they were they were quite nostalgic even at the time, you know, never mind now. So Oxford isn't really like that anymore. And, and you certainly don't get as many deaths of dons happening. I mean, I'm surprised the university carried on on the number of people who got killed off in Moors. But um, I'm deliberately not setting anything really in these beautiful quadrangles. But the, the wonderful thing about having them set in Oxford is that everybody, both here and all over the world, know exactly what that city looks like. They've seen it so many times. So I don't have to describe it. It's there. It's, they can inhabit that city in their minds without me having to take them there. So I can. I have the, the freedom to take them to other parts of the city, which they probably don't know. Um, so that that's one of the great advantages of, of uh, setting it in my hometown. <laughs> I can understand that, yes. Now... Um... I'd be interested in your view on this because uh, your books are written in the present tense, mm-hmm. which I kind of feel is unusual, although I might be wrong. And also much of the book, but not all, is written in first person yes. with the rest in third person, yes. um, which is quite a tricky trick to pull off, yeah. which you do fantastically. But is that was that a kind of thinking, I'm going to try and do something a bit different in this approach, or has it just come naturally? It came naturally. Mm. I mean, it's quite... Quite the present tense narrative is quite common now. I think it's become more so. Um, some people don't like it. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, there's obviously always going to be someone who who takes a different view. Um, it can't. I feel it kind of throws you right in. It throws in there. you in, and it, it means that uh, your your narrator doesn't know what's going to happen next any more than your reader does. Whereas, obviously, if you do a, a past tense narration, if if it was Adam Fawley telling us about a case he worked on that was already finished then he is, by definition, withholding information from the reader. So I, I don't get into that sort of conundrum of thinking, well, why is he not telling us? He knows what happened. He knows the killer. So why didn't he tell us now? Um, I, don't, I don't get myself into that sort of, of, of puzzle um, because he doesn't know any more than we do. And a lot of the time, in both Close to Home and in the third one, Now No Way Out, there's a line of, of uh, flashbacks taking place, in, in, obviously, in the past, uh, where the reader gets to see things about the family concerned, which the police don't know. 
some of which the police find out, but not all of it, and certainly not in the degree of detail. So my readers get to be detectives, and I've had a lot of people say how much they like that bit. That they And, and the documents you're talking about, I, I put in loads of different types of mm. documents, interviews, transcripts. I've got a, yeah. a video script in, um, in the second one. In the third one, No Way Out, we've got a fire scene report, which actually a real fire scene investigator showed me how they do that and the template that they use. So that, again, is authentic. Mm. But it's another document for my readers to pour over yeah. and see if there's anything hidden in there like, by way of a clue, which I hope is fun. <laughs> Mm. No, no, absolutely. And I could carry on asking questions all afternoon, <laughs> but um, I can't. So I again, just finish off by saying, finally, I believe your next book, All the Rage, all the Rage yeah. is due out later this year, yeah. uh, which is, is at a very impressive pace. <laughs> but is there? A, would you? Can you give us any insight into the book that will be out later? Well, all of the titles, um, Close to Home, In the Dark, No Way Out, and, and All the Rage Coming, they're all three-word titles and monosyllables, as you've gathered. And they're all phrases that can be interpreted more than one way. So all the rage, if you think about that as a phrase, obviously there is a theme of anger running through it, which is a very contemporary theme, I think. But also all the rage can mean fashion. Um, so there might be a hint there of what some of the subject matter is about. Thank you very much. Thank My you so much. Pleasure. It's great to uh, hear about it.